0: Last week we talked with Emily O'Connolly, the new editor-in-chief at the Valley Mirror in Munhall, about what she's learning about running a local community weekly newspaper. Uh, Dave Copeland has many years of experience in journalism, including here at the Pittsburgh area, uh, at the uh, former Pittsburgh Tribune Review. He is now managing editor uh, for Patch.com websites in Massachusetts, Rhode Island and New Hampshire, and he's been writing about some of the problems that are facing community journalism in a series of articles that you can get on Medium.com. And uh, Dave joins us. I believe you said from a cigar store uh, in, in in the Boston area. Good morning, uh, Dave. Good morning. How are you?
1: It's nice to be back in Pittsburgh, so to speak.
0: Yes, and you still have some connections back in the Pittsburgh area. Your wife's fa- family is from the Pittsburgh area, correct?
1: Yeah, I had to move all. I had to move home to Boston to meet a nice girl from Pittsburgh. <laughs>
0: Well, welcome, uh, and and thank you for taking some time to talk with us. You've been writing a a series of articles for Medium.com. The the first one uh, was called Who Will Cover America's Cultural Civil War? And you have since posted uh, three more uh, updates, and they're all about local community journalism. This will not come as a surprise probably to a lot of people in the Pittsburgh area, but uh, community journalism right now is struggling, is it not?
1: Yeah, and it has been for quite some time. Um, I mean, I think Pittsburgh's a great example. You had two robust Metro Daily Papers and a lot of weekly and community papers in the surrounding region. And um, if the ones that are still there are probably a far cry from what they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, And that's happening over the country to the extent that we're seeing some places that just don't have a local newspaper and they don't have anybody paying attention to government anymore. Hey, we're,
0: we're taping this show. Our studio here is in the, uh, the building that was once the the McKeesport Daily News, um, we, which we lost back at the end of 2015. We, as I mentioned, we talked to Emily last week. She is the editor of the Weekly Paper up in uh, Munhall Homestead area, but she has... Three or four different school districts, each encompassing multiple communities that she's trying to cover. Uh, what are what all do you cover at Patch.com up there in the New England area?
1: So I oversee a team of 10 people, um, and we're trying to cover local news on 110 sites um, spread out over three states. The majority of our people are working in Massachusetts, but we're trying in a lot of ways to just be a stopgap for the places that don't have local news um, anymore has seen that local news be whittled down to, you know, shred of what it once was. So we're spread as thin as everybody else in this business, but we are, you know, we, the overall company has 1200 sites across the U S and we're in a mode where we're trying to grow. We're trying to get to a point where we can add enough people to have the kind of coverage that people my, you know, our age, um, kind of middle age and up, are probably more familiar with.
0: Uh, we're talking with Dave Copeland. He is a former writer for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. He is also, are you still teaching journalism as well?
1: No, I had to give that up. It was just too busy with the journalism job. So I, and COVID kind of made teaching less than fun. So um, I'm taking a break and it might actually be a permanent break from teaching, but Yeah, it was 15 years of my life, too, part-time.
0: He's managing editor for Patch.com, overseeing local news coverage in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. And you can find uh, his recent series of articles about local journalism and some of the crises that are facing it uh, at Medium.com. In in one of your essays that I think was posted uh, about two weeks ago, you you talk about growing up – And this was a familiar story to me and and reading the Boston Globe that arrived at your house uh, in in the Boston suburbs every morning and and sort of learning to read and learning about how newspapers work by reading the the funny pages in the sports section. And I think that's probably uh, familiar to a lot of of people our age. But you also talk uh, about not just the Boston Globe. You talk about the Melrose Free Press. Tell us what the Melrose Free Press was.
1: Melrose Free Press was my town newspaper. It's the paper I grew up with. It came out on Thursdays, um, and it had all the little things that you expect from in a community newspaper. It was, um, you know, the police blotter and whatever the board of Alderman had done that week, um, you know, Prom pictures, obituaries, wedding notices—all the things that you know—you kind of go through and see who you knew about. You'd find out about upcoming events um, and just. You know, if you heard f- sirens on Tuesday, you, you, you'd you find out what those sirens were for when you read the paper on Thursday.
0: And, and the high school sports and Little League and, and youth soccer. I, I think you said that um, anything that was worth happening uh, in the town of Melrose, Massachusetts, uh, showed up in the Melrose Free Press that week. And
1: I think a lot of people are familiar with that and a lot of people are missing that. Um,
0: well, that was just that you're, you know, you're jumping days, ahead. What, what what happened in 2021 to the to the Melrose Free Press?
1: Um You know, like a lot of papers up here, it went in just, you know, my lifetime that went from being independently owned to regionally owned by owned by regional corporations to national corporations. And they were acquired by Gannett. And just very abruptly um, in 2021, they sent out a memo, said that they were no longer going to be publishing a print edition, And they still say that they maintain an online presence, Um, but if you look at it, it's just stories from other towns. There's really nothing that makes it feel like it's a Melrose News website.
0: We're talking with Dave Copeland. He is a managing editor for Patch.com, overseeing 110 sites in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. Uh, He is writing a series of articles right now for Medium.com about community journalism and his concerns, uh, that that, what's sort of falling through the cracks. Let me play devil's advocate with you. Uh, There are probably people hearing this, and, and they remember when the McKeesport Daily News or the Jeanette. Uh, Spirit or the Jeanette News Dispatch or um, the Claritin Progress or the Homestead Messenger. I'm mentioning all these papers that have gone out of business just in my lifetime uh, in in the Pittsburgh area and in Armand Valley area, the Braddock Free Press. Um, And they're hearing that, well, you know, uh, prom announcements and wedding announcements. And I, I can get those for free from Facebook. I, I can get those. I can see those on people's Instagram. What, what difference does it make if I don't get a prom announcement or I don't get the, the local Little League scores? Why why should I care?
1: Well, I mean, there's two things. I mean, there's been a lot of research in the past few years that, that when the local newspaper dies, uh, we have all these uh, immediate, almost immediately followed by... Um, all sorts of things that should concern people who have you know, chosen a community to live in. And the biggest ones are lack of civic participation. You see voting rates go down and they're already pretty low in a lot of local elections yeah, yeah. around here. And I'm assuming there are in most of the country. And um, the cost of government goes up. Um, there's no one watching, um, you know, what government is doing and there's no one in government worried about what they're doing. So splurge a little where they wouldn't have in the past and borrowing costs for in the municipal bond market go up. So there's real, there's a real tangible cost um, whenever one of these papers closes or one of of these papers um, just keeps chugging along as a shell of what it was. You really do need somebody that is trying to be nonpartisan, trying to be independent and trying to be diligent and paying attention to all the things that a local government does. Um, And, you know, I always try and make the argument that local government is the government that has the greatest impact on your day-to-day life. Everything from um, how your kids get to school, what they learn in school, um, the roads that get paved, um, the police services that you get the elder services, the housing services, I mean, they're the ones that, even if it's federal money, they're the ones that are typically passing it out and overseeing how it's spent. So, um, you know, and then the other, the other side of it is I just feel like there's less, you know, the, when you look at the way people get, find out about stuff that's happening in hometowns now, it's usually more and more it's on social media, right? There's, um, Or, you know, so it's not necessarily the, you know, the mantra of newspapers and people will say that we don't do this or newspapers don't do this or independent news outlets don't do this. But there is this idea that, you know, most journalists I know have tried to make work through their careers by presenting the facts in a way that allows the readers to form their own opinion, not present their opinion based on the facts that support opinion.
0: Let, that's a good place for us to pause. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about journalism training since you have taught journalism students, and also talk about uh, a, a, a little bit of a sticky subject for the news industry, and that is rates of pay, and why that is a, a barrier uh, for, for a lot of people who would consider a, a career in journalism. OK? Ready? We'll be back in 30 seconds. Support for this broadcast comes from Striflers Family Funeral Homes. Since eighteen sixty-six, Striflers has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striflers offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company design monuments, Strifflers also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at Striflers.com or call forward. 4- We're talking about uh, local journalism and and how it's struggling, and... uh not exactly a a big secret because we've lost, uh, just as as most of the country has, we've lost a bunch of our local newspapers uh, around here in the Pittsburgh area, among them the Pittsburgh Tribune Review and the uh, McKeesport Daily News, uh, which we're we're taping our show in a studio in the building that once was the the McKeesport Daily News. Um, we, we, We talked about well, we haven't really talked about uh, why these local newspapers ha- have gone out of business. It's, it doesn't seem to be for lack of readers. Is it for lack of advertisers?
1: I, I mean, I think one of the things I'm trying to explore a little is the idea that, you know, the convenience scapegoat was always the Internet, uh-huh. right? Um, and that, of course, is the big reason um, when you get down to it. If you look at it, the Internet in a lot of ways has stripped, kind of the main revenue sources, everything from – craigslist stealing classified ads to google helping people better target ads mm-hmm. um to social media allowing people to do their own promotion if you you know you could probably spend as much as what you used to spend on a display ad in a newspaper for a social media manager you going to have more targeted results so i think that's part of it um and that leads to you know a shrinking newsroom maybe some of the people that are coming in for lower salaries are not as skilled or as um, dedicated to the position as people who were paid higher a generation ago and so readers are kind of left with well you know I can't really justify paying whatever it is a hundred bucks a year to keep subscribing to the local paper um, you know I get all this stuff for free on the internet but you know I think blaming it entirely on the internet um, is, The short answer, but I think there were some missteps in the industry as a whole. Um, I think they were slow to realize that the internet wasn't going anywhere and see the threats that the internet were was going to um, pose to them. Um, And I think that, you know, they're there's been some less than stellar coverage. I remember kind of when we work when I worked in Pittsburgh, you had had of editors pushing you on deadline to get one more quote or make sure you confirm this with a source. And now, you know, somebody tweets something and that could become a new story in and of itself with no phone calls. It's just quantity, get stuff out there as fast as possible. And, you know, for readers, um, they, start to wonder what the value is when they're seeing something that's just not as good as it used to be.
0: Let, let me ask you uh, about a, a, a sore point for me, but uh, it may or may not be for for, for you, and that is the, the concept of citizen journalism, which is something that I started to hear about maybe 10 or 15 years ago, That that the Internet was going to give rise to bloggers and then people who post on social media who would volunteer to go cover their, their borough council, their township commissioners, their school board, and and bring these stories. And we wouldn't need to pay journalists to, to go cover these meetings anymore because the, the market would decide that these things were important and citizen journalists would, would rise up and do that. Did that actually happen anywhere? And, and what were the outcomes of it?
1: You know, I think the people who undertook those efforts um, were very well-intentioned. But I think what they realized is that you do need somebody um, paying attention to this as their full-time job. And, you know, those, you really need professional journalists for lack of a better term. Um, It's not to disparage those people, but if you work 40 hours a week um, how much energy you're going to have to break down a four hour city council meeting on Monday night and a three hour city school committee meeting on Tuesday night. And then, call the police department and get all those things covered. So I think to a certain degree, you know, it's worked here and there. I know one of the towns we cover Salem, Massachusetts, the League of Women's Voters, they have somebody that um, goes to all the major city meetings, city council school committee, and they somebody just posts notes, uh, you know, the notes that they took that night um, the next morning on Facebook. And things like that are helpful, but there's no real – comprehensive net catching everything when that happens um the ones that survive tend to be they tend to focus on a little niche and not much more um because it's a lot of work it's time good journalism because it's time consuming um, and it's complicated
0: at times. You, uh, we're talking with Dave Copeland. You can find his website at DaveCopeland.com if you'd like to read the uh, articles he's been posting on Medium uh, about local journalism. Uh, Dave is a managing editor for Patch.com and a former uh, writer for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. You taught journalism for for about 15 years. You're currently on a little bit of a break from that. Um, how many of your students actually wanted to go into local news coverage? It
1: changed, actually, over the 15 years. I um, started in 2007. And if I had an intro to journalism class um, in 2007, I might have had... If I asked how many people were kids that were working in the field, I might have had five or six students raise their hand. Out of a class Um, of how many? Out of, say, 20 to 25 students. Okay. Um, Whereas, you know, if I go back to when I was in college, I graduated in 96, um, you know, people probably wouldn't be taking an intro to journalism class if they weren't at least considering it. Right. Um, You know, by the time I finished there, I might, if I was lucky, have one student who was, you know, interested in it and the rest were... Well, it seemed better than all the other classes that were offered at this time. They needed a writing um, class. They needed a writing elective, you know, and that was it. It's – exactly. Um, it's a hard profession to sell people on. It's, you know, long hours, low pay, um, and people calling you up after every story you right to scream at you. Um, <laughs> You You you, know, I used to joke.
0: I was going to say, I think you're about to tell the story that I was about to bring up. You said in one of your articles, if if a student said that they wanted to become a local uh, journalist, you asked them, uh, what do you want to be a recovering alcoholic for?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I I used to tell them, why do you want to be a divorced alcoholic? (laughs) Um, Because that, you know, that, and I I will say that I do think that that's one of the things that, has changed for the better okay. um in working journalism uh in journal in newsrooms for working journalism um you know particularly during covid when people were really run thin covering everything that yep. was going on but even before that there was this idea that you know you can't work people to the bone you have to give people a work-life balance you have to give people time to co- recover you have to realize that people are covering some really horrible things um and that there might be some ptsd or there's definitely a mental health issue so we've brought in you know psychologists and psychiatrists to talk to people um as a group on the precautions they can take ways to take care of themselves so i think in that sense you know certain things are getting better in the profession um about the working conditions but yeah for the most part um it's really you know it's a tough job and you know, it's not paying enough to get the smart people we need right now.
0: We have another thirty second break coming up. Time goes very quickly. You mentioned the movie um, "All the President's Men" as kind of influencing this this journalism culture uh, beginning in the in the seventies, but really carrying through. I, 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 that, movie i think remained a a cultural touchstone for into gen x um and maybe the paper uh as well which came out in the 90s with uh, michael keaton sort of turned journalism into a calling rather than a job and you say there were there were some real downsides to that among them uh requiring people to work for very low pay and and then telling them basically what they should be grateful for it
1: yeah i mean it's one it kind of touches on what we were talking about before how Yes, the internet was the big problem, but there were some other problems within the profession that were kind of deep rooted and predated the internet by a long, like a long time. Um, Mainly, you know, when you think about it, you know, if you look back, there was a flood of applications after that film came out because Mm -hmm. it was Robert Redford, Justin Hoffman at the peak of their careers. And it has the pacing of, you know, a spy thriller, um, And so that made it a very appealing profession. So there was a flood of applicants to journalism schools, and that allowed newspapers to have their pick of really hardworking, talented people. Um, You know, I can remember being told that, you know, after working a 16-hour day and asking if I could have the next day off, you know, well, if you don't like the working conditions here, that's fine because we'll get somebody – Fresh out of journalism school will work for half the money and work twice as hard. Um, So, you know, there was that kind of mentality. And I think that just drove a lot of people. Anybody that was anybody my age that worked in journalism that has half a brain is long gone. They've moved on to public relations. They've moved on to. Radio, they've moved on to a number of different things because they're smart, hardworking people, but they also wanted to do things like have a family um, and have a work-life balance and be able to afford to live in the town that they wanted to live in. I, I resemble that you know, remark
0: about jer- a, about half a brain. That's, that's why you and I are both talking, apparently, because between the two of us, we have one entire brain. But go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. No, so I mean, I think, you know, it's it floors me that, you know, we can't pay – people enough money to live that they cover um that can't pay people enough money to have kind of a middle-class income that reflects you know the training and education that they put in get there Uh, you know it's like well we want somebody to cover the paper but we don't want to pay them enough for us to be one of our neighbors. We're talking with Dave
0: Copeland. He is a longtime journalist and journalism instructor. You can find his writing at DaveCopeland.com. He's currently working as a managing editor for Patch, uh, overseeing uh, local websites in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire, former reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. We'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media, Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Welcome back for a final few with Dave Copeland. We're talking about local journalism. Last week we talked with the new editor at the Valley Mirror in Munhall, Emily O'Connelly, about uh, her hopes and goals. What would be your advice to someone who is starting out as, a, as an editor of a community newspaper or thinking about going into journalism? What, what are some, some, some health and safety tips, basically?
1: You know, I think, I mean, as much as I joke about it, um, I can't pitch myself anything else. It is a rewarding profession. Um, You know, you get to meet, you get to cover some incredible people, you get to cover some incredible stories. Um, The people that you work with tend to be as dedicated and as crazy as you are. I think it's just a matter of being realistic of what can be done, um, trying to do your best to get on to all the stories that need to be covered, but realizing that some of them are gonna slip up by the wayside.
0: What, what are your feelings about some of the efforts that are being made? Uh, you, you you alluded to one that there's a there in in your area there is a new nonprofit newspaper uh, starting up. Tube City Community Media is a nonprofit. There there are sort of these nonprofit news websites popping up all over the the country. What, what are your feelings about those uh, helping to plug the gaps?
1: There's actually several in here. After Cadet cut a lot of papers last year. A lot of them popped up. One of the things. I mean, I think this is might be the best hope at this point because you get people in the community who are dedicated, concerned. A lot of them are coming from non-journalism backgrounds um, and they realize the importance of it. So they're putting it together. Um, I do kind of see um, some problems with that model. In fact, I've sat in on a seminar for people that were trying to do this the other day, start a nonprofit news organization and all of them um, came from affluent communities So that means that communities that really need to be covered are not going to get covered under this model, Um, or that would be my assumption on this. I think, you know, one of the ones I looked at was it was a lot of ex-government officials and they were sitting on the board of the nonprofit and they wanted to hire journalists, which I kind of feel – You know, I'm still to the point that that seems a little too uncomfortable to Mm me um, to not have that divide between local government and the news organization. There's a lot of good ideas out there, but they're all pieces here and there spread out in different types of organizations. At Patch, our mission statement is quite simple. It's um, to find a profitable business model to ensure that communities get little news coverage. That's that's basically our mission statement. That's what we all work with um we want to free which means we're relying on page views which is a whole other problem set of problems that we could probably take a whole nother show on um so i think you know there's a couple of things here i mean journalism needs to really step back and think about what we're going to do and i think that process is underway but i also see it as kind of a broader societal problem i think you know in this country there's not enough education about media literacy at a time when media literacy is really crucial. And I'm not just talking about the local newspaper, but I'm talking about navigating online forums and social media. Um, It's a little shocking to kind of see people, you know, if you delete a racist comment to have people start, you know, screaming at you that you're violating their first amendment (laughs) rights. I mean, there's not even a basic understanding that it's Congress shall Mm -hmm. make no laws Um, it doesn't, you know, exclude newspapers from trying to deter or news outlets from determining what's appropriate content on their sites. Um, So I think, you know, I see that at an alarming rate, even the students again, you know, 2007 to 2022, the media literacy coming into my classrooms just went down every year. It was like every year there was a half-life gone of media literacy. Um, So, I mean, I think there's, some bigger picture issues that might not be able to be addressed just within the industry or the profession of journalism.
0: If someone is, is listening to us talk and is interested in, in getting themselves up to speed, are, are there any websites or, or publications that you follow that you would recommend if people want to learn more about uh, sort of the crisis in journalism?
1: You know, there was a book that came out um, two years ago called ghosting the news, which mm-hmm. I really think outlines this whole problem. It's mm-hmm. written by a journalist and like, Myself and a lot of other journalists, we're really good at identifying the problem. We're not always great at coming up with a solution <laughs> or advocating for the solution. Um, beyond that, though, I think, you know, it would be spend some time reading the papers that serve wherever you live. Just spend some time listening to the news station, watching the news stations wherever you may live. And, you know, take the time to offer feedback, comments, comments. Um, you know, point out what they're doing well, point out what they're not. I mean, that's how we get better as we respond to what readers like, what they don't like. And it also speaks to that whole media literacy pro- uh, leg that I was talking about And that.
0: Our guest has been Dave Copeland. You can find his work at DaveCopeland.com. Are you going to be writing additional uh, uh, columns in your series? Uh, you've got four posted right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is just, I've had, I'm at that point in my career where there's probably more work behind me than there is in front of me. Um, and i am just trying to reflect on and kind of make sense of everything I've been doing for the past 25 years and everything i will be doing for the next 15 or 20 years. Um, and you know, you don't want to be the one standing in the whole profession that's there to turn out the lights. So I'm hoping that, you know, my experience can kind of address it. So I do have several more of those essays planned and what I do with them after that, or how long I go with them. Um, We'll
0: see. You, you can find his work at DaveCopeland.com. You can also search for him on Medium.com. He's got four articles posted so far. Uh, Dave Copeland is a managing editor for Patch in New England. He is also a former writer for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and he and his wife, who uh, mentioned your wife's name for, for our listeners here in Pittsburgh.
1: Her name's Kate DeMacy. She grew up in Fox Chapel. One of the rules of my marriage is I have to be a Steelers and Pirates <laughs> fan, Penguins fan, so...
0: Go well, Steelers. <laughs> uh, Dave, thank you for taking some time to, to talk with us this morning. All right. Great. Thank you. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now.